This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and in today's episode, where we're talking about one of the great cities of the ancient Mediterranean world, the city of Alexandria. Founded by Alexander the Great in around 332 BC, developed by his successors in Egypt, the Ptolemies, flourishing in the late Hellenistic and Roman imperial periods, and of course, a city that has endured down to the present day, the modern city of Alexandria in Egypt. The story of Alexandria and its great significance in ancient history is fascinating. Of course, there was one of the seven wonders of the world there, the Great Lighthouse. You had the tomb of Alexander the Great. You might have also had the tomb of Cleopatra. But did you also know that today, a significant portion of ancient Alexandria is underwater in the eastern harbour of present-day Alexandria. Now, in the past few decades, archaeologists have learned more about this sunken part of the ancient city thanks to work done by institutions such as the Institut European d'Archéologie Sous-Marine, the IEASM. Now, the IEASM, in partnership with the Egyptian Ministry for Antiquities, they have planned, they have mapped, they have excavated a large part of the eastern harbour floor. And what they discovered was fascinating. They've discovered a treasure trove of artefacts, the outline of buildings dating to the Ptolemaic and Roman periods. And to talk about all of this archaeology in detail for the next 40 minutes or so, I was delighted to interview one of the leading underwater archaeologists, full stop. His name is Franck Godiot, and he's been doing underwater archaeology in Egypt, in the eastern harbour of Alexandria, but also further east in Abu Bay. He knows his stuff. He is the expert. So without further ado, to reveal all about Alexandria's underwater archaeology, here's Franck. Frank, it is wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Yes, it's a pleasure. Thank you. This is an awesome topic. You have the dream job almost. Underwater archaeology by yourself and your team. It's revealed so much about ancient Alexandria, about 
one of the most important cities of the ancient Mediterranean world. Yes, we are working now since uh, nearly 30 years on the Portus Magnus of Alexandria. The Portus Magnus, which was a nevralgic center of Alexandria in ancient times. Let's kick it all off with that. Ancient Alexandria, this great city of the ancient Mediterranean off the coast of modern-day Egypt. But what was the Portus Magnus? The Portus Magnus was most probably the first modern port ever created. It was an instrument of power, wealth, and of course, it was also a kind of a miracle for engineering port work. That port was huge when you think about other ports in the antiquity. It had inside the Portus Magnus, there were several ports. Merchant ports, there were military ports, there were rural ports, there was a world port of the galley. That's it. It was a kind of a universe, you know, by itself. And you could uh, divide it into two parts. The western part, which was called the Navaya, and which were mostly a shipyard and merchant ports. And the east part of the Portus Magnus, which was called the rural quarters. And there, you had rural ports, but you had also a peninsula called the Poseidium with temples and villa. You had a rural island called Antirodos with a palace and a temple to Isis. And eastward of that, there was a Cape Lochias with all the palaces of the Ptolemies. And the image of that port was absolutely tremendous. This area of Alexandria in ancient times, as you say, it was a mini-universe. All of these different harbours and almost the most important part of the city, wasn't it? With the royal palaces of these Hellenistic Ptolemaic rulers and then following that into Roman times too. Absolutely. The royal part of Portus Magnus was a center of power for the Ptolemaic dynasty. And uh, during Roman time, of course, the palaces were used by the high administration. Uh, there were uh, a lot of changes in the Portus Magnus. But during 300 years, that port was a ruling port of the Mediterranean Sea. And Frank, just so we get a real idea of when in ancient history we're talking, if we're talking about the Ptolemaic rulers, so after Alexander the Great, but also the Romans. So are we talking around the turn of 2,000 years ago, that kind of area? Yeah, it started in 330 BC. And of course, when the Ptolemaic dynasty failed, the Roman took over Egypt as a colony. And that port stayed very important for the Roman because it was from that port that all the wheat going to Rome was gathered and could leave Egypt. And uh, every year, there was a huge fleet leaving Alexandria with the wheat and going toward Ostia, toward Rome. Well, it therefore begs the question, if it is this incredibly important port for the Ptolemies and then for the Roman Empire, why does this area of ancient Alexandria, the Portus Magnus, why does it fall? Why does it sink beneath the waves? Yeah, it's a kind of a mystery, as a matter of fact. 
doing the underwater excavation. The most recent find were from the very early Islamic period. We found gold coins from the end of the 8th century AD. And then after, nothing. When you go into the text, you could see that in the 4th century AD, there has been a huge earthquake followed by a tidal wave in 365 AD, which destroyed part of the city of Alexandria. But nothing is said about the Portus Magnus. And during our excavation, we were surprised to find some very important monument, which has been destroyed even during the first century AD. So it took that there has been several natural catastrophes, like earthquake, tidal wave, which little by little sank the Portus Magnus. And we could analyze the phenomena. And in some area, we could prove that there has been an earthquake followed by tidal wave, which trigger a phenomena called land liquefaction. And in a matter of a few seconds, or a few fractions of a second, monument collapsed and sank several meters down, up to six meters down in a fraction of a second. What is very strange is that this has not mostly been recorded in available texts. Nowadays, available, maybe it has been recorded, but the texts were lost. What is absolutely certain is that under the water, you find the peninsula of the Poseidium, you find the island of Antiodos. On those, you could find sunken temples and sunken palaces, you know. And it's amazing to see so magnificent and important sanctuaries and buildings forgotten, and which are today nearly in the middle of a city of six million inhabitants. And on this area of the East Port, which is absolutely not used today, except by a, a yacht club for small boat, and that's it. And another port has developed west of Alexandria, which is a west port of Alexandria, which is today a very important commercial port. But the east port, which was the Portus Magnus of the antiquity, is now under the water. And the whole area is closed by two breakwater to protect the city from the sway and the wave. And you have this magnificent area there, and which is a new sport, and this is the Portus Magnus. Frank, you and your team have been working in the Portus Magnus, in this eastern port of Alexandria, for more than 20 years now. You are the leading expert on it. I've got to take you back, though, to the very beginning. How did it all begin? I mean, talk me through up to that, that first dive when you went down beneath the water in the eastern harbour and you started to see this amazing archaeology. Before even diving, we have done a long and huge work in order to gather all ancient texts, all ancient inscriptions concerning the Portus Magnus of Alexandria. Then we study those and we historically interpreted those. Then we started to study 
everything which has been found around that on land around that Portus Magnus in order to have an idea of how much we could find underwater. And then after having done that study, we were absolutely convinced that a big part of the Portus Magnus was of course missing because on the ancient coast, we had some evidence that, for example, of uh, obelisk, which one of them is now nearby the Thames in London, another one is in Central Park in New York. And those two obelisks, we have pictures of those, photos of those at the end of the 19th century, and they were nearly on the coast. And in ancient text, it was obvious that those two obelisks were far away from the Portus Magnus. As it was evident that a big part of the Portus Magnus was lying underwater. Thus, after that, we started an electronic survey. Because diving in those waters, first you will see nothing except sediment because everything has been buried under meters of sediment. Thus, we started an electronic survey with a nuclear resonance magnetometers. We have done the bathymetries. That means we mapped the bottom of the Portus Magnus. And then we had strange evidence, you know, of what we called anomalies and magnetic anomalies. Then at that time, we started the dive. But all this took more than four years before diving. Thus, we started to dive and we were very excited because we had evident signals that something was going on underwater in some spot. We dove there and we saw nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Flat bottom, sand, not very clean. <laughs> and then we say we have to start excavating. And we excavated few centimeters, one meter, two meter, nothing. Sediment, sediment. And under in the middle of the port, under two meters of sediment, it was a kind of a big coral shapeless element, quite big. And we look at this, we excavated it. It was more or less 2.5 meter long, one meter wide. And it looks like a concretion of coral, nothing evident. Then we were suspicious about that because why finding something hard under so much meter of sediment? And it was an independent element. It was not a big rock, you know, it was by itself. Thus, with a peak, we hit it and we saw that and 30 centimeters of soft concretion, there was something even harder in the middle. Thus, we started cleaning it and we saw a very nice granite block coming out of that. And little by little cleaning it, we saw an inscription, hieroglyphic inscription on it. And we could read, it was something unbelievable, life forever, <laughs> in hieroglyph written on it. Thus, I thought it was a good omen <laughs> and that we had to go on working. And after years and years, I can say now that this book was right in the middle of the rural island of Antirodos, <laughs> and it was part of a palace which was there and which has been seen 
three years after the death of Cleopatra VII, the great Cleopatra, by a geographer called Strabon, which mentions that on that spot was a palace used by the queen. <laughs> wow, so I mean, that's amazing. So let's focus on that first, that particular temple on that royal island of Antirodos. So what has your work beneath the waves over the past couple of decades there revealed about how this royal palace used by the likes of Cleopatra looked? First, before walking on the monument, we walk years and years in order to define the topography of the contour of the Portus Magnus. And in that particular case, we walked a lot defining the contour of Anterodos Island. Once we had that contour of the sunken island, we started to walk on that submerged island. And we defined the contour of the palace, and also we could put into light a very important monument, which was a temple to Isis, which was not recorded by the text, and we could prove that there was a temple of Isis on that island, close to the palace. What is left from the palace? Nearly nothing. The foundation, limestone foundation. It has been looted and looted most probably after several earthquakes, you know. And during Roman time, most probably it was no longer in use. And we found on the place, on that place, bases of columns with a Greek inscription which told us that the Roman emperors put statues of themselves on that spot, fronting the city of Alexandria. So the Romans are almost, they are making their mark, saying the Ptolemaic rulers, they're gone. We are the new top dogs and we are placing our mark in these statues on this very important island. Absolutely. And some of those statues were statues of Caracalla, and we know from the text that Caracalla has done terrible things to the city of Alexandria and murdered tens of thousands of people in order to take revenge from jokes that Alexandrian people were doing about him. Airplanes, spacesuits, condoms, coffee, plastic surgery, warships. Over on the patented podcast by History Hit, we bring you the fascinating stories of history's most impactful inventions and the people who claim these ideas as their own. We uncover exceptional stories behind everyday objects. We managed to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. Unpack invention myths. So the prince's widow immediately becomes certain. Thomas Edison stole her husband's invention and her husband disappeared around the same time. Can only have been eliminated by Thomas Edison, who at the time is arguably the most famous person in the West. And look backwards to understand technologies that are still in progress. You know, when people turn around to me and say, oh, why would you live on a live forever? Life's rubbish. I just think that's a bit sad. I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And the thing that really makes it worthwhile is the fact that you could make it go on forever. So subscribe to Patented from History Hit on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to catch new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Hold up. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Frank, one other thing on that island, because you mentioned in passing there the Temple of Isis. Now, if memory serves me correctly, in one of the sources talking about the tomb of Cleopatra, her tomb, monumental tomb, was near a Temple of Isis. I've got to ask, do you think it's potentially in that area that there might have been royal tombs like that of Cleopatra? We have no evidence of any tombs on that island for the time being. The texts concerning the Museum of Cleopatra are very scarce. I have one from Plutarch mentioning, yes, that the mausoleum was close to a temple of Isis. From the text, I cannot say anything. And from what we have found underwater for the time being, we found palaces, we found sanctuaries, but tombs we haven't found. Nearby the coast, nearby the place where used to stand the biggest temple of the antiquities, the fabulous temple of the Caesars, the Caesarium. Yes, we found a lot of broken sarcophago, but uh, of course, uh, not of uh, rural type. Well, come on, Frank, you mentioned the Temple of the Caesars there. What is this temple? It sounds like it was absolutely massive in ancient history. It has been described as the most beautiful temple of the antiquity, the richest one. The description we have of that temple, which was facing the Portus Magnus, are astonishing. It had courts, uh, gardens. On that spot were placed the two obelisks. One of them is now in London and the other one in New York. They have been donated by Egypt to UK and to the US at the end of the 19th century. We could walk in front of the place where once stood that temple. And we could see that most probably part of this temple has been swallowed also by the sea. Part of it is 
most probably under the modern city of Alexandria. And we have some proof that part of it is now under the Portus Magnus. And we could even prove that some land work, preparation work, has been done in order to build that temple early first century BC. It means that maybe the work to build the project to build that huge temple, which has been built by, according to the text, Cleopatra herself in honor of Julius Caesar and then in honor of Antony and then in honor of the Caesars, <laughs> most probably has been planned by her father Ptolemy XII. Because we have the absolute proof that preparation work has been done before the time of Cleopatra. Well, you mentioned there Ptolemy XII, so I would like to, if you wouldn't mind, to focus on a few of these Ptolemaic rulers before the famous Cleopatra now. Because in your work, Underwater Archaeology, in this eastern harbour, have you found any depictions, any busts of these Hellenistic Ptolemaic rulers? Very strange. We found a statue of a king, most probably Ptolemy III. Oh, very early. Made in marble, a little bit bigger than the life size, which once stood on Antirodos Island and fell during the earthquake and ended in a royal port, in a small royal port of Antirodos Island. But otherwise, on land, I would say, on the submerged land, we haven't found a portrait likeness of the Ptolemaic ruler, except on Antirodos Island, where we found two well-preserved sphinxes which felt also down the slope, and one of them is the likeness of Ptolemy XII. And it was stood once on the Temple of Isis on the Royal Alp. But otherwise, most probably the Roman emperor cleaned most of the sink and brought them to Rome, because in Rome there is a lot of sink proceeding from Alexandria. Well, I would like to ask, therefore, about one particular statue which comes after Cleopatra, and I believe, if I'm correct, is your favourite artefact that you've uncovered from beneath the waves of this harbour. Talk to me about this colossal statue, this face of the young Caesar. Yes, just in front of the Temple of the Caesar, we found a colossus head of Caesarion. Caesarion was the son of Julius Caesar and Cleopatra. And that head of Caesarion must have belonged to a statue which was more or less six meters high. Wow. And it bore, once upon a time, most probably a gold crown, which has disappeared, <laughs> of course. And that statue uh, where there... And you could see evidently that uh, the main statue has been cut and sliced into pieces, you know, in order to make some blocks, you know. And that statue must have belonged to the Caesarium. And it's very strange because it was, I would say, the likeness of the last pharaoh of Egypt. That must have been an absolutely amazing find to uncover, Frank. First, to see that colossal statue in the ground, under the sea. And then I'm guessing it must have been a massive process 
to bring that up from the seabed to bring it above the water? Yes, sometimes we are finding very small objects and sometimes we are finding a huge artifact and you need to bring a special crane in order to lift it, you know. And uh, we found also columns bearing hieroglyph proceeding from Memphis, which has been brought there in order to be incorporated to the temple of the Caesars. <laughs> but there are, the weight of those could be uh, five to six tons. Sometimes on another spot nearby the peninsula of the Poseidium, we found the place where Antony built a sanctuary palace called the Timonium, the place where he wanted to retire from the life there and ask, as a matter of fact, Augustus the right to retire, but he had committed suicide before. And there we have to lift in order to excavate blocks weighing three to four tons. Some concessions are massive and huge. Goodness, well... Fair play to you and the team who go through all that work to bring it up and these amazing artifacts, bring them really back to life. As we move on, I think we've talked a lot about these great busts, these temples, these places, particularly on the royal island of Antirodos. But I'd like to focus a bit more on the harbours themselves. You mentioned at the start how this, well, Eastern Harbour today was made up of lots of different harbours in ancient history. What do we know about the design and the function of these various harbours in ancient history. East of the Portus Magnus is a very beautiful harbour, nearly totally closed by several dikes and breakwaters, which was called the port of the Royal Galleys. And this was the place where the Ptolemy king had their Royal Galleys. Going west, you find a large military port where most probably Caesar anchored his fleet, which he had to burn during the war when he took over Alexandria. Then after you have a large and very well-protected port in the middle of the Portus Magnus, which is a merchant port called the Port of the Emporium. Then going again in that port is the royal island of Antirodos with a special royal port, very well secured and closed. Then going west of all that, you find a large port which has been built by the Roman, which was not in use during the Ptolemaic time, but the Roman built a huge breakwater with concrete blocks. Those concrete blocks are very amazing because they are 13 meters long, 6 meters wide, and 3 meters thick. And you have big mortar blocks like that forming a huge breakwater. And that breakwater was built just in front of the temple of the Caesar, the Caesarium, most probably uh, during the time of Augustus, because that temple has been finished during the time of Augustus, and he took the opportunity to build in front of it a large port. Wow. So it shows the evolution of Alexandria down into Roman times. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, keeping a bit more on these various ports, 
You mentioned these massive granite blocks, but should we also be thinking in our minds how these ports looked some 2,000 years ago? Were there lots of wooden jetties as well, which would have allowed lots of boats to pull up alongside? We don't have evidence of a wooden jetty except on one part, which is very amazing. On Antirodos Island, we found wooden posts, but they are dating from before the Ptolemaic time. Oh, wow. So this is pre-Alexander. Pre-Alexander. All around the Portus Magnus, you have jetties made in beautifully bid with limestone blocks, very well. And you have to look, you have an image. For example, on the end of each of the jetties, we have evidence there was columns, red granite columns. And sometimes you find some broken columns, capital and some broken part of statues. Thus, all those jetties had columns. We found hundreds of those red granite columns all over the Portus Magnus. You can even draw the contour of the Portus Magnus with the red granite columns which are left. And the vision of that Portus Magnus with all those columns, those statues, you know, and the jetties, must have been very amazing during the antiquity. I've got to also ask about ships. Have you found any shipwrecks, any of these massive galleys that the sources talk about, that these Ptolemaic rulers went absolutely mad for? Do we have any evidence for ancient Ptolemaic or Roman ships in the harbour? We have evidence of Roman ships, for sure, because we have excavated one of them fully. But very recently, we are using a new prototype of sub-bottom profile, which give us in 3D what is buried under the sediment. And we could locate like that, but not proved yet, a lot of ancient shipwrecks that we have to uh, still to excavate. We have centuries of work ahead of us. Up to now, we haven't found evidence of those huge uh, galleys described by uh, ancient text, but it doesn't mean that there is not, and we know where they could be. Well, Frank, when you do get down to that layer, sign me up. I'm coming along, because if you do find one of those massive ships, I definitely want to be there, my friend. I mean, it sounds so, so exciting for the future, therefore, of what plans you guys must have over the next few years, and indeed beyond that. Of course, these harbours, you mentioned that there was a military harbour, there was the Royal Harbour of the Ptolemies, but also this emporium, this trading harbour. And therefore, before we completely finish our interview, I wanted to rewind to Alexandria and this port as being this great trading hub of the Greco-Roman Mediterranean world. I'm sure you found so many artefacts, but I mean, if you could pick a few what sorts of items have been uncovered, whether they're really rich items or everyday items, that really highlight how much of a bustling port place, how much this was a, a centre of trade and connectivity? What sort of artefacts have you uncovered from this port? When we excavate at the bottom of the harbours, for example, at the bottom of the central harbour of the Emporium, you have stratigraphy of a three metre broken ceramic, or sometimes intact ceramic, close to the dike. And from that, you can, of course, study and define the use of each of the port and the use of each part of 
a specific port, Sajeti was used for that type of, uh, etc. Thus, the work to be done there is huge, huge, when you consider uh, the absolutely very thick and impressive stratigraphy. We can take picture and you see the diver very small compared to the cut of the stratigraphy that we have to study. And you can go down and down and down under the sediment. On the Royal Port, uh, we went up to 5.5 meter thick of stratigraphy and we didn't hit the bottom yet, if you know. That's, it's a huge work. On the submerged land, the sanctuary, you can find jewelry, very important jewelry. You find uh, on the coast uh, daily life objects. Of course, the raw islands are much richer in terms of quality of ceramic. On the raw island of Antirodos, we found luxury imported ceramic from Italy, from Greece, from uh, all the part of the world, and glass, part of uh, gl- uh, very precious glass and precious artifacts also. Frank, this has just been a glimpse kind of into the amazing work that you and your team have done here over the past 20, 25 years. But it also sounds, from what you've been saying there, how much is still uncovered, that there's still so much more to do. What's next in the underwater archaeology story of this East Harbour, of the Portus Magnus? We will go there next by May for a new mission. And we will work specifically on the site of the Timonium, built by Antony, and on the site of the Temple of Isis of Antirodos Island. And we will excavate also a new shipwreck that we have found on the rural port of Antirodos. We have a lot of work for this year mission, but when you see the path of our excavation and the work to be done, you can assume that we need several centuries to end the job. Frank, it's all absolutely extraordinary. I need to go and renew my underwater, my scuba diving license absolutely for this. Sign me up whenever it next comes along. It just goes to me to say, Frank, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you go. There was Frank Godiot to talk all about Alexandria's incredible underwater archaeology in its eastern harbour, the archaeology they've discovered in artefacts, but also the layout of these more than 2,000-year-old buildings and harbours and so on. It's amazing. It is amazing. And they are going back this year and in future years they'll be uncovering more. And I can't wait to hear what they'll be finding next. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Last things from me, you know what I'm going to say. If you're enjoying The Ancients, if you enjoyed this episode and want to help us out, well, you know what you can do. You can leave us a lovely rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. It greatly helps us as we continue to share these wonderful stories from our distant past with you and with as many people as possible. But that's enough from me, and I'll see you in the next episode. Hold up. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code ANCIENTS at checkout.